Good evening. I'd like to say that I appreciate you all being here this evening. Appreciate the prayer on my behalf and echo that I hope the things we have to talk about tonight will be beneficial to you, that you'll be able to take the words given here tonight to go out and examine them against God's Word, find them to be true, and, and examine them against your life, find where you have opportunity to make application. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it, turn along with us. We're going to begin, if I will turn that on, in Proverbs the 8th chapter and the 10th verse. The topic we want to discuss this evening is receiving instruction. And this is a different kind of sermon. It's actually a sermon or a teaching about learning. Um, and I am not a teacher, but I was raised in the home of a teacher. My, both my folks worked in the school. Um, going through, especially athletics, and this is, I'll have a lot of reference back to the time that I played athletics because that's where I needed to learn that I needed to learn. That was the place where it really kind of hit me square between the eyes, so to speak. But it just occurred to me one day, how do I learn? What kind of learner am I? Am I willing to receive instruction? Do I do so willingly or do I do so begrudgingly or do I just set my feet and refuse to do so at all? Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 10 says, Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. So I wanted to open with this verse to give, or rather to allow God's word to give a value to knowledge and to understanding. Seek knowledge rather than choice rubies or rather than rubies, and all of the things that can be desired in this earth, all the riches, all the possession, all of the finest possessions, can't compare to receiving not just knowledge, not just instruction, but the instruction of God. What we have in this book is amazing. This is the most important history of the world, from before its inception, before its beginning, through the end of Revelation, which bears on us today. So it's the history of the world from that time to us today. All the most important things. Now, it doesn't give a lot of world history things that aren't involved in the Bible, but the things that you need to know the most are in this book. And they can be taught to you, you can learn them, you can glean them from that. And God says that is the most important thing you can do in this life. So, how high do I esteem the knowledge of God and the instruction of God? Am I willing to listen or do I think I have things figured out? And I can tell you, if you spend much time talking to me at all, where my judgment is concerned, I'm pretty convinced. Sometimes I have a hard time stepping back and being instructed. Everything that can be had or desired do not compare to receiving the instruction of God. In Psalms, the 32nd chapter, beginning in verse number 8. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth, mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. 
This is a psalm of David. And in Psalm 32, he starts out with, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This psalm starts out, David talking about the time when he closed up his iniquity to God, thinking he had it hidden from him. When he wouldn't confess that he had sinned before God, and he said his bones were as rottenness within him. But he turned and forsook the, that iniquity and turned back to God, and he gives God's response. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Now we have here something that's been difficult for me for a long time, and it's difficult because I see myself here. Don't be as the mule or as the horse that won't listen and do what you say unless you bridle their mouth. Now, I love horses. I grew up with horses. I didn't grow up around mules as much. I know that when my dad, when he was teaching ag and was trying to break a showcalf for somebody that was really stubborn, he would take that stubborn showcalf and attach it to a more stubborn donkey or a mule, and that would break that showcalf nine times out of ten. And if it didn't, you let the calf go or sold it because it wasn't worth keeping. They're stubborn. They're going to lock their feet up and not move no matter how hard you pull against them. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Don't be as this animal. We'll strengthen that point a little better with Jeremiah 17, 23. It says, But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear, nor receive instruction. You ever dealt with a stiff-necked animal? Now I can tie this directly to a horse. My dad one time had a horse that was superstitious. It would not make a left-hand turn. Don't know why. Didn't matter what the bit was. It didn't matter. You yank on that and it, it wasn't going to go. Now, you can do some training with horses, and I'm, I'm going to guess this is past the um, time where Dad could be prosecuted for this today, but he used to take a piece of plastic pipe, about yay long, and he would just wear on that horse's neck. It was not going to go. How often have I been like that with God? Or the servants of God who have brought me instruction? I can tell you in lots of instances just in this life where I've been that way, I'm going to do this my way. I'm one of those people that so oftentimes has had to learn things the hard way. Jeremiah says the children of Israel were like that. They stiffened their neck, and they wouldn't hear, and they wouldn't receive instruction we become as brute beasts. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who, are, who will no more be admonished. Poor and wise child compared to an old and foolish king. And what's the qualification for an old and foolish king? Why is he old and foolish? Now, old is age. Why is he foolish? Who will no more receive instruction can't tell the guy anything. He knows it all. He's got the authority and the power to back it up. He's not going to be taught. So again, we have a value verse given here. In the eyes of God, it's better to be a young, poor child because they're going to listen. They're going to receive that instruction and willing to be taught. We have a really interesting example of this. And it's, it's tragic in a sense that someone lost their life, but 1 Kings chapter 22, 
beginning there in verse number 7. First Kings 22, verse number 7. It says, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Now if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 22. We're going to pick up a little more of this story because... I mean, come on. So Jehoshaphat, king of Jerusalem, king of Judah, has gone to Ahab, king of Israel, and they're wanting to get some land back from Assyria. And during the process of this, Jehoshaphat knows we should probably try and find out what God thinks about this. And so they inquire of the prophets of King Ahab. Now, I don't know what went on with that, but it made Jehoshaphat say, don't you have any real prophets? Isn't there a prophet of God here? I don't know if everybody just right on agreed with the king, yeah, you go do this, whatever you want to do kind of thing. But whatever it was, Jehoshaphat knew something was going on. He asked Ahab, don't you have a real prophet? And he said, yeah, there's this one guy. Now there's a problem here. This prophet of God only ever prophesies evil concerning me. Red flags, right? An old and foolish king who will no longer be admonished. So they send for Micaiah. Verse 9 is where they call for Micaiah. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Now let's pick it up in verse 10. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at the threshing floor of the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenna, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak encouragement. And Micaiah says, The Lord lives, whatever he says to me, I will speak. So we have here, they've made these, this great demonstration, you're going to go get it done. Now Micaiah comes, and he gives his prophecy, and he says, it's going to be delivered to you. And I apologize for not having this. I always intend to cut this story short. It's just too good to leave alone. So he comes to King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat and says, go do it. God's going to give it to you. Now Ahab's response is really interesting because he gets mad at him and says, I've told you, only tell me what God says. And he says, God told me to come tell you whatever it was going to take to get you to go. God is sending you to your death. And so they go, and it's prophesied that Ahab is going to fall in the battle. Now, I don't know if Jehoshaphat still didn't believe that, a that Micaiah was a prophet of God because Ahab convinces him to wear his clothes. Jehoshaphat wears Ahab's clothes. 
Even though it's been prophesied, Ahab is going to die. He thinks he's got God fooled. An old and foolish king who will no longer be admonished. A seemingly wayward arrow catches Ahab in retreat. And he dies. God wasn't fooled. God's will was done. And we have an example of someone who refused to receive instruction. If you open God's Word and go to the Word regularly, but you only ever find things that are evil concerning you, maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to receive some instruction. If all of your interactions, or even the majority of your interactions with your brothers and sisters in Christ are things that you need to be working on, now that's good. We should be encouraging and exhorting one another to be more godly, but if it's that way all the time, maybe it's time to loosen that neck up a little bit and receive instruction. Proverbs 5, verses 12 and 13 says, And say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. Proverbs 5, this is the lament of a young man that has forfeited his life. He has gone the way of the harlot. He has stiffened his neck against those that would instruct him. He has come to the end of that and found the fruits to be bitter. When we don't receive instruction, even if it's not the same as this young man, even if it's not the same as King Ahab, when we refuse to hear instruction, we can hear ourselves giving this lament. How I have hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. This is an ode. It's his lament, his woe. I encourage you to go read that full chapter in its context. Second Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse number 10, says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, they should believe a lie, that they, might, that they all might be damned who believed not truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's usually, most often, a reason we refuse to receive instruction. Truth can be difficult. Instruction can be hard. Because what instruction that I'm holding my neck stiff against is telling me is that I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm not as right as I think I am. I have changes that I need to make. Now this is a very specific group and God reacting in a certain way, but the principle there is what we want to notice, those who would not receive a love of the truth. To love the truth means you love enough to be told that you're wrong. And that's okay. Now you don't want to be wrong, you don't love being wrong, that's not what I'm saying. These people loved being wrong more than they loved the truth. You love being told the truth, regardless of being wrong. Maybe a better way to say that. You love the truth. Those that don't, we are told God will send them strong delusion that they might believe a lie. You ever talk to someone that just refused to see the obvious right in front of them? That's tough. It's tough. 
Now, it's tough in a worldly sense, but it's more tough when you open the book, provide the words of life, and someone just says, I'm not going to see it. Not going to see it. And we get that way in our lives. Now, we see this in the world, but we can become this way ourselves. I know this topic, I understand this topic, I have studied this topic thoroughly, not seeing that we've zeroed in on one aspect and missed the greater picture. We have to love the truth. Learn to love the truth, even if it means that you're wrong. Proverbs 12 and 1 says, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. And the inverse of this is one that hit me really hard. I was probably, oh, 15 or 16, which I started playing football late. My dad didn't grow up playing football, and so I didn't play for a long time. And the time I did play, I'm still paying for, so it may have still been too early. But um, when we would leave ball games, my dad would record, and he did that for me. I enjoyed watching to learn how to play better. Now, I wanted to see what I needed to do, but I didn't want to be told what I needed to do, especially by my dad, who never played football. So we'd get in the car to leave. It didn't matter if it was at Stratford or an away game. He'd begin saying, you could have done this better. Why didn't you do that? Without fail, every time we would do that, I would get aggravated at him. And one time I just told him, you don't know what you're talking about. You never played the game. Well, then I got to interacting with one of my high school coaches more, and some of the things he was telling me was exactly what Dad was telling me. And during that time in, in study and prayer, I ran across Proverbs 12 and 1, and it was like God just put his hand on my head and said, Back up, young man. Look, look right here. Now, this is, that's something silly and worldly, but... As I've examined my life, I have found so many times in areas where that has carried over because what that was was a manifestation of my pride. You don't know. I know better than you. I know more than you. And that went from the useless sports arena to the Word of God. I know better than you. I've studied this topic more than you. I've dealt with this more than you. And I refuse to receive instruction. What we find in this book goes beyond what's in the pages. We're told in the book of James, and I think we'll get into this before we close, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. We can look at the black and white, we can look at what's on the page, but especially in this new covenant, in this law of liberty, there's a lot of judgment to be had. And where there's judgment, there has to be wisdom. And if we're going to get to the point of wisdom, we have to be instructed. We have to be teachable. And I don't find an area in the, in the Bible where we're told we can stop being instructed. Stop receiving instruction. Don't be as a brute. And that word there, brutish, is difficult. It's simply, as a brute beast. If you want a real-life example, look at King Nebuchadnezzar became as a beast in the field and ran out of his own castle. 
Proverbs 12 and 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The book of Proverbs and the Bible is full of barometer passages. Places that if you're reading the book with an eye towards your life, it'll tell you who you are. You can know yourself by comparing yourself to the book. The fool is right in his own eyes every time. You don't believe him, just ask him. The fool will never be wrong. Those who hearken unto counsel are wise. So where are you at today? This is a perfect opportunity for me to step back and say, am I hearkening to counsel? And more importantly, where am I not? Because there's probably some place in my life that I'm not. And so I leave you with that question for yourself. You know your heart. Do you hearken to counsel the way that you should? Do you receive instruction, or are you right in your own eyes? Proverbs 16, 25, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know why that man is foolish, who thinks he's right, that won't listen to counsel? Because the way that seems right to us can lead to death. If it's not tempered, if it's not guided with counsel and wisdom of God, the ways of death. So many examples we could look at it throughout the Bible. Let's consider Cain and Abel. Both brought forth sacrifice to the Lord. I don't know what the instruction was. We can make some judgment on that based on God's Word, but the simple fact is this. We're told in the book of Hebrews that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And so Abel listened to what God said and did it. Cain did not. So I'll pose this question to you, and and it's not worth arguing about, just something to ponder. Did Cain know the sacrifice he was bringing to God was wrong? His reaction tells me that he thought God would accept it. He was wroth. Now, it was probably difficult because his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't, but he felt God had committed trespass against him, that he didn't accept that sacrifice. And what Abel had done only made it seem worse because he accepted little brothers. It seemed right, but the end was the way of death. Proverbs 9, 7-9 says, He that reproveth a scorner getteth himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Barometer passages. Chances for us to evaluate ourselves. Now, it's easy to consider other people and, yeah, when I told them this, they sure got mad. That's, that's really easy to do, but it turns us away from what God really wants us to know. We're not commanded to judge other people's hearts. We do not possess God's perfect judgment or His wisdom. Now, we are commanded in the New Testament to know our own selves and examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. So I encourage you to do that this evening. When you reprove, when you are reproved, do you try to shame the other person? When someone rebukes you, do you try and give them a blot? 
Now, if this has happened, whether you're one side or the other for you, you know what it looks like. Has that been you? It's been me. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. We can consider Apollos, a man eloquent in his teaching, had had success preaching the gospel and did so with power and might. Now, he was preaching the baptism of John, but having success in doing so, an educated man. And here come two people and say, hey, you're off a little bit. Now, I'm sure they approached him in a correct manner with humility and love, desiring to help him do what was good for the kingdom of God. But he received that instruction and increased in his learning and went on to do good things in the church. He was willing to receive instruction. Proverbs 2, 1 through 9 says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear to wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as his hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, in every good path. Back up and take this in turn. There's a lot here. Receive my instruction and hide my commandments. So often we just want to do our own thing. Whether it's pride or laziness because what we have figured out is easy. It's difficult to make changes. We've been successful in doing what, we've do, what we're doing the way we're doing it. The commandment here is to apply, to work, cry after, or seek. Verse 4, seek and search as for, his, as for hid treasures. How much is instruction worth to us? Again, we've talked about you've got to learn to love instruction. You've got to learn to love being told or being given counsel. At the end of the day, all anyone can do for you is provide you with what they believe and understand to be the truth. It's up to you to receive it. To take those things and make comparison to God's Word and comparison to your life and search them out as for hid treasure. The Lord gives wisdom. Out of His mouth comes understanding and knowledge. Psalm 94 verse 11 says, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are vanity. All of our wisdom, and look how far we've come with ages of quite a bit of peace over the last couple of centuries. The advances in technology we've made, the advances so-called in philosophy, 
and understanding. It's all vanity. It's useless compared to the knowledge of God. The wisdom of God. He says, blessed is the man that you chasten. Blessed is the man whom God corrects. Because the Lord teaches him out of His law. We look at this book and we want things to be simple. We want them to be clean and be easy. And there's a lot in the Old Testament, a lot in the Old Law that was just flat, clean, and simple. Don't do this, do this. Now there's a lot of the Old Law that's extremely difficult because God's judgment comes into play. Christ explains that as He goes throughout His life that it was always about our heart. What are the first two great commandments? Love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. God always wanted man's heart, and He deserved it. But from that, He gave us His wisdom. Timothy tells us that all Scripture is breathed by God. You want to know wisdom? Find the knowledge in this book and then pray for God to give it to you. Diligently seek Him and be instructed in His ways. Seek counsel of those that have knowledge and wisdom and years of use of that word. Go to the young and ask them their perspective on passages. There's a reason we have a plurality of teachers in this place. We'll get into that in just a second, but it's because we can learn from everyone that steps in this pulpit, or we should be able to. Those dealing with God's Word and going to the book to apply their understanding to God's wisdom, we find perspective and gain understanding. Being taught by the Lord from His law, judgment will return to the righteous. Proverbs 2, 10 and 11, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant to thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Where are we at today? Has wisdom entered into our heart? And we have another barometer verse. Chance for me to measure myself up against God's Word. So let's look at this kind of in reverse. Is discretion preserving me? Is knowledge pleasant to my soul? If it isn't, it's because wisdom hasn't entered into my heart. Apply from other passages we've talked about. I haven't applied my heart to wisdom. I haven't sought it after the finest things of this world. It's not what's most important. First Corinthians 14, verse 19. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Now, we're not going to get into speaking in tongues. I want to notice a very particular part of this passage, and there's seven different places here in 1 Corinthians 14 we could have pulled from. What's the purpose in our coming together? We come together and glorify God if we worship according to His will. But He doesn't need it. Paul said in Mars Hill, God doesn't need anything from us. He sustains our lives. We come together that we might be edified. Paul says, when I'm in the church, I would rather speak five words that build up, that teach, 
than 10,000 in an unknown tongue and show the glorious gift that God has given me. Paul wanted to build the church up in everything that he did that I might teach others also. When people stand in this pulpit, and I can tell you how it is for me and, and guys that I talk to on a regular basis, there's a gravity of what we're doing. To know and understand what it is you're handling, to know whose it is, This is God's law. This is God's word. It's not mine. It didn't come out from me. It didn't come especially to me. So it behooves the teacher to do their due diligence in the things they're going to choose to speak about and say from this pulpit. To give care and credence to the things that are taught because if you teach something wrong and it's caught a hold of by someone and run with to its logical conclusion, someone could be lost. Five words in an unknown tongue, or five words with understanding, than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. And the reverse side of that, if we have faith that our guys are doing that, and I feel like our leadership does a good job, overseeing the teaching that's done here, then we have responsibility to those things as well. To take the things that are taught here, understanding the work and love that has been poured into the sermons that are given for the benefit of the congregation. Now, there are lots of sermons given because guys that are giving them need to study the things that are taught. That's just going to happen. But... The reason we have a teacher in the first place and we give sermons instead of just getting up here and reading entire letters or books at a time, which could be done, it would be edifying, it's God's Word, is because we want to share a testimony with what we see and understand about the Word of God that might benefit you. And you can take those things and study them out and compare them to God's Word and find where they do benefit. 1 Corinthians 14.26 says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a song, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. When we come together here, whether we're singing, we're praying, gathering around this table, or someone standing in this pulpit, everything we do is to build up. That's what that word edification is, to build up. That's why we come together the way we do. So, as a teacher, am I excelling to edification of the church? Am I looking to give my all and do my best in handling God's Word? And as a listener, am I paying attention to what's being taught, comparing it to my life? Or am I comparing it to my neighbor? Or am I blowing it off saying, yeah, that's a really high standard, we're not going to go there. That's too tough. Am I stiffening my neck to God's Word? Applying whatever excuse you want to give there. Let all things be done to edification. That can only be done when we do that all together. Everyone involved. 
James 1, 22 through 24 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now, that's when we're studying this book on our own. We look at that and compare it to our life, and then we go away and forget what we've read about. And that happens. That's why we need to be in the book constantly. But it happens when we come together here and receive edification. There's a mirror held up, and it's held up in a different way than when we're reading on our own because there's someone telling us, this is my experience with that. How often do we walk out those doors, and as soon as we're gone, that's gone. Now, I'm not asking you to remember an entire sermon. Maybe not all of an entire sermon is what you needed. But there's something that was taught, something that was saying, something that was prayed, that was beneficial to you. Or we've not fulfilled God's purpose in our coming together. When we leave this place, do we immediately forget what happened? Are we changed or do we go back to living our life separate from the world, having our day-to-day life and our church life? James says, be a doer of the word and not only a hearer. If you do, you're deceiving yourself. And I don't know if there's any worse deceit than self-deceit. Don't behold what you see of yourself here when someone's teaching and walk out the doors and forget it. If God's Word convicts your heart, go with that conviction. Don't be as an old and foolish king that wouldn't be admonished. That doesn't mean you have to come forward then if you're not compelled to do so. It means make a change. Whatever that looks like, whatever it needs to look like, receive that instruction from God. Ahab wouldn't. And God told Micaiah to go tell him whatever needs to be told to get him to the battlefield because that's where I'm going to kill him. Second Peter 3 verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I mentioned at the start or close to the start that I don't know of a place where we're told we can stop learning where we can end receiving instruction. Peter's instruction is to grow in grace and knowledge. That's everybody. That's everybody. Every topic, every idea, you can be open to counsel. If you're sure and and steadfast in your knowledge about a topic, then you shouldn't worry about, or shouldn't have to worry about, someone presenting something to you that's going to lead you astray compare it to God's Word. At the end of the day, we're endeavoring together to be unified in the Spirit, that Spirit of God's Word. We can receive instruction from each other. At the end of the day, it's not our glory that, we, that we're seeking, but Jesus Christ, our Savior. When we receive instruction in His name, we bring glory to Him. James 1 and 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Seek after knowledge. Go to the book and receive God's instruction. And if you're not understanding, 
or you have a situation where you don't understand, ask God. Now, I can't tell you what this looks like. I don't know how when we live in God's Word and desire God to work within our lives, and that's what loving instruction looks like. Loving instruction means I go to God's Word and I want to look more like Jesus. That I go to God's Word and I want God to work in my life. doesn't matter whether I've been right or wrong. I want God to work in my life. The way we're going to understand that is as we go to that Word, we examine ourselves and we ask God to give us wisdom to understand the things that He has revealed to us. Where do you stand this evening? Lots of barometer passages we've looked at tonight. I ask you to examine your heart, and, and it's a common, a common phrase or a common uh, request from men that stand in this pulpit. But it's a genuine request. I can't do it for you. I don't know how you view wisdom or how you, review, how you view receiving instruction. God's wisdom is before us. We never conclude a, a sermon or a service as a congregation without offering the invitation of Christ. It's His, it's not ours. As His body, we offer it to you this evening. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. If you understand what Jesus was talking about this evening, if you feel that weight that He's wanting you to unload on Him to take His cross upon you, then do so tonight. Whether here or not, find somebody and unload that load Jesus is talking about. Sin will make us weary. Talked about Psalm 32. David said, My bones rotted within me. When we close that stuff up, it gets to us. The invitation is, Jesus, if the church can serve you this evening, we encourage you to come, have a seat on the front as we stand and as we sing.